If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful human, and welcome to In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. My guest today is Katherine Rudloff. Catherine's political science and business background has provided her with extensive experience in strategic messaging, communications, and fundraising. And now, Catherine is using those skills to help women entrepreneurs in her role as executive director of We Venture at Florida Tech. We Venture is the leading voice and resource for female entrepreneurs on the space and treasure coasts. Catherine, who is an advocate for female business owners, oversees the center's low and no cost business education programming. With her background, Catherine knows what it takes to get things done, and she uses her gifts to stand up for women leaders and ensure that they have a say in the direction of their careers and the resources they need to elevate their business. I am really looking forward to get in the details with Catherine. Catherine, welcome, friend. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be with you today, Karen. Anytime we are talking about amplifying women, I'm like, sign me up for that conversation. (laughs) That's a good day, right? Let's talk about that all day. Exactly, exactly. And I think it would be helpful for our listeners to just hear some insights, you know, from your journey of uh, a poli-sci major, you know, into this world of of business and really just how your background has influenced your, the work that you're doing today, whether at WeVenture and beyond, because I know that you have done a lot in the last decade to, to serve. So let's just talk about your journey. How did you get to find your passion and to live out this mission to this position? you are in today? Wow. Well, that's a big, broad opening question. Um, I think, you know, if you were to bring my mother in and ask my mother, you know, if she's surprised to see me in the position I'm in that, that she would say absolutely not, because I was always one of those little girls that when something didn't seem right, or I thought something should be done, that I thought that I had agency to do something about it. And the story that she tells that comes to mind is, you know, we have, we lived in a very rural, like surrounded by farmland community in Ohio, maybe 12 houses on our, you know, two mile, three mile long street, you know, and I thought we needed a playground. And because one of the county commissioners lived, you know, on the street, I made it my effort to make the case and try to pursue and lobby him really for why we needed a playground on our very rural which was never going to happen, you know, and he was very sweet about entertaining me. But, you know, I mean, I was little doing stuff like that. So I don't know. I think you're born into being, you know, I'm a fifth child. So I have that innate confidence where everybody loved me from a little age. So, you know, I think birth order plays some role to it of having an abundance of, of confidence because of that. It does, Catherine. I'm the youngest of four. And I'm like, oh, I have to keep up. So I got to get this party going. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I see it now as a mother, you know, you see how that birth order really does impact their personality. So I think both of those, like just, wow, maybe that was a part of me is there, but in terms of really getting into advocating for women and children and, and my role at WeVenture, I did find myself passionate about politics. I did have a really great career for a little over a decade working in and around politics at every level, local, state, national. I was on a presidential campaign in 2007 and worked for the federal government for congressmen, you know, up in Washington, both locally and in the district. And having that perspective, I think you just, you appreciate that 
things can be done at a high level, at a low level, but things can be done, things can happen, and that everybody deserves to have a voice. And having worked in government and around that communication, you see that everyone has an advocate at some level for every issue. There, there's no issue under the sun that doesn't have somebody advocating for or against. And after having the lived experience of leaving a career that I love to start my family, starting my own you know, LLC company so that I could get into consulting so I could still make some money while I was home with the kids and having lived through why women make some of those choices and why we get into entrepreneurship. Now that I'm at WeVenture, I feel like I really understand both the work that we're doing as an SBA resource partner to support women entrepreneurs within the community and how they deserve an advocate like me that will be passionate on their behalf to talk about you know, what they do, but also that I very much lived through that of why women are making these choices in their careers and why often entrepreneurship is a wonderful opportunity for women to monetize their time and talent and, and find fulfillment in, in meaningful work. Absolutely. I had this moment where my listeners will definitely remember this story because I've shared it where, you know, I was going through all these different changes in life. And one of the big changes that happened is actually the last one of, I call it my year from hell, all of these different losses and changes that were happening. And it was, I was let go from my corporate job. At the time I was a single widowed mom. And so, you know, the first thought was, oh, well, I need to go and, and get another job because that's what, what, what makes sense. Um, I have to have the benefits. I have to have the stability, but this little voice inside, of me that actually started to, I'll say, wake up maybe a, few, a couple of months uh, before I was let go. It kind of started to nudge and become a little bit louder. And it helped me to realize that corporate America wasn't really the place for a single mom. And as I was bawling my eyes out, like, but there, I'm like having this conversation in my head, but there's no other way. What am I supposed to do? That's the right thing. How do I? It was hard. But it was, it was something that I couldn't imagine, you know, being a single parent working in corporate America. How, how do you make that work? Because typically your employer expects a lot more than you're able to give just right, just based on the circumstances. And so finding the courage in that moment to say, yes, let me step out. Let me create a a work life, because this wasn't something that was introduced to me or around me, but let me create a work life that does integrate all of my priorities. And that's how I was like, oh, maybe I could be an entrepreneur. Okay, well, what would I do? And I just started like, the first thing was leveraging resources. Like, who do I know? Who's in my network? How can I? And it was very gritty. But the, but what really, my point here is what helped me to see that, well, maybe this is a path I should pursue was the dynamic my family, my small two-person family and what my son needed from me. Yeah. And, and your story, while not typical, is typical because exactly. what we hear from women everywhere, then I think you said, you know, that you didn't feel like, you know, how can you make that corporate world? And, and, and that's where, you know, I'm working on my doctorate where I really am focusing my research is because as a, as a system, as like a larger societal system from our federal policies, state policies to, to which corporations respond to, you know, nobody's going above and beyond until often the government is saying you must go above and beyond. Our systems are not set up for single motherhood. Our systems are not really even set up for dual income parenting. And the majority of U.S. families now are dual income and the highest percentage of single 
household, you know, families with single households are led by women. So, you know, we, we, and we're all still expected to work. We need to work. We hear this crunch of the labor and rising cost of living. We have systematical issues that I, I believe, and that I see, and that, that I'm working on in my research that are making the risk of entrepreneurship, because keep in mind, you were right to be afraid. Entrepreneurship means you are assuming the risk for your family's health and financial and economic well-being, because our system right now is set up that all of that normally should be tied to your employer. So when you choose self-employment, when you choose to start your own business, you're taking that on for yourself and sometimes for your employees. So you're assuming more of our economic risk. So it is a scary thing. It shouldn't be done lightly. No one, we never encourage anyone to think that it's going to be easy. You know, we spend a lot of time talking to entrepreneurs about the very real you know, dedication and challenge that it takes. But the upside for a lot of women is that flexibility, that agency to, as I always say, monetize your time and talent in a way that allows you to be there for your family in the way you need to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a breath of fresh air, right? To just kind of give ourselves permission to even do that and to to think that. And I am curious, you know, when you were in the political landscape, what were some of the skills that you were able to refine? And I'm not saying that you did this knowingly, although I think you're a very intentional woman, Catherine. So I'm sure a lot of it was uh, was intentional. But what are some of those skills that came from that time working in politics that have directly transferred to your role here as executive director and the way that you do advocate for these women in the program? I think what my background in politics, and because again, I'd worked, you know, from Washington, California, Florida, local state, you know, being involved in different levels, you see, I see systems, I see layers of activity that happen and the way that different things sometimes work well together and the way sometimes things don't work well together and how they impact people. Because one of the main, which I don't, I don't think a lot of the general public appreciates because we think of politicians as soundbitey and talking to, you know, a general mass and a mass communication. The number one way most politicians are going to speak and interact with constituents is through those emails and the calls that they get from a million people, you know, I mean, that are blowing up their phone and their email. Anytime something happens or somebody reads something in the newspaper, you are getting these inputs of feedback from individuals. And we as staff have to help those members and and representatives learn how to respond and take that in. But you can't help but appreciate the personal nature of how our policies and decisions that we're making or things that we're doing are impacting people because you hear from people. So that had a really big influence on me because it is, it all seems very real and it seems very, I don't, I don't view politics as this, you know, far off thing that's happening. I view it very much as a huge impact on people's lives. And maybe because most of my background had been within the Republican side of government, you know, you have this, that too much government intervention is, is a, is a bad thing. Right. And I think through lived experience of hearing how this happens, it's like, well, is it the government intervention that's bad? Or are we not doing the right thing? Are we not solving the right problem? Are we not, are we not leveraging the resources of our tax dollars and our things efficiently to actually solve the problem at hand? So now in my role, I, I like to think that I'm really good and I, and I bring partnership and more community awareness when we talk about how we're going to help support our entrepreneurs 
beyond just the coaching that we provide, but what else do we need to be thinking about through my advocacy work and in changing systems and through community partnerships and making sure that the women who are coming to us because they're in a widowed situation or, or they're threatening to lose housing, what other resources are we helping connect them with? Because sometimes starting a business isn't going to solve all your problems. You know, it's just one piece of the larger pillars, you know, that they're trying to use to stand up a, a, a solid life for themselves. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about, I, I agree, I think that that is a part of the world of politics that the everyday person, you know, who maybe is not as immersed into it has not had that kind of exposure, I'll say. They don't understand. I do remember listening to Pres uh, President Barack Obama's book, and he was talking about getting letters when he was working on different policies and the way he and his team would respond. And, and that actually helped me to see, oh, no, they are connected in a way that we when we think of government, we hope that you are representing the people. We hope you are thinking about us as a collective. We hope you are creating these different systems, but we also don't know if we're not in that world, right? It kind of feels like just, just a hope. But when you think about that in the political world, it is also a direct tie to how we look at businesses. You Businesses need to listen to their customers, right? To get feedback, to create the system, the service, the product, you know, whatever it is, that's going to meet those needs. And, but then again, and also goes back to the individual when you were just saying about, you know, if a woman says, I want to be an entrepreneur, well, let's talk about this. You know, what exactly are your needs? What are you looking for? And I can just see how all of those things are linked together. And the fact that they've been able to come together in this space for you and for you to be able to also see that and, and bridge those connections of, you know, things that we don't know, resources we are not, uh, it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. So no, for no, me, right, when I started off as an entrepreneur, I'm like, wait, there's resources out there for me? Or how do I set this up? And so one of the things that you and I mentioned briefly, you were not in the executive director role when I had my experience with uh, WeVenture, but I did live in the Central Florida community. And so WeVenture was introduced to me as uh, as a resource. And I remember going in and thinking, yeah, I had no idea I needed all of these things. I, I did not know where to start, but also the relationships that came from that, which again is very important. You know, we talk about systems and we talk about, you know, what are some infrastructure that we need to create? That's one thing. But honestly, relationships is a huge part of our success as humans. Talk a little bit about how you all help to connect these women entrepreneurs and help them to develop, you know, a more expansive network to serve them as a person, but also to help elevate their business. Yeah. You know, it, it's so true because the business education is just one small part. And, and I always use the YouTube example, you know, if you needed to learn how to run your business, there's nothing that you probably can't find on YouTube, you know, you and I YouTube mean, university, <laughs> you can, you can Google, you know, or YouTube and find, you know, the tutorials and the how to's and the, what I should do. There's blogs out in there. So access to information is not the challenge, right? But what people do struggle with is, but my situation, because every business and especially every entrepreneur and especially every solopreneur, when you really are just that small baby business and it's just you, is unique and different. And so having relationship to both coaching, which is which is the cornerstone of the program that we provide at WeVenture Free Business Coaching, so that we can come and work with you on making sure the business plan and what your strategic goals are that, that you can help make that is a blessing to women because they're out there saying, I see that, you know, 
Susie Q's Flowers does it over in Orlando, but that's not Brevard. And that's not what I'm trying to, you know, so making sure that really is unique and, and applicable to their market. And then the second thing, our, our mentorship and our mentoring program, there is nothing that we do alone in this world, you know, and I think it's the Teddy Roosevelt, if I've seen, or is it Einstein now? I'm not going to share, but if I've seen farther, it's because I stand on the shoulders of others. There is nothing that anybody's going to do without that support and that engagement of others and that community building and mentorship. You know, there's, there's academic research and then there's the personal experience that tells us time and again, having someone that you can turn to, that you can develop relationship with and trust that's willing to teach you and invest in you and, and help you out is it's priceless. You know, it just, it it reaps benefits for both the mentee and the mentor. So our other cornerstone project is that business mentoring. And we have found that it's not about personal relationship always because networking and helping women connect and make personal connection is wonderful, but being an environment where we can allow women to talk shop and where it's okay to say, I'm crushing it. I don't know how I'm going to sustain this, where it's okay for women to say, I bit off more than I can chew. Help me make sure this business doesn't go under because personal pressure, whether it's on social media or the networking type stuff, you're trained to say, it's great. Everything's Mm -hmm. going great. And that's not where business growth happens. That's not where business challenge is are, you know, you need to be able to create the safe environment which we try to do through our mentoring and through our peer groups and our coaching, where we can talk shop openly and honestly. They know that it's all confidential. They know that it's in a in a safe environment because we have to we have to talk about the things that are difficult and the things that aren't going well if we want to help you overcome that. And 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 I love chambers. You know, we partner, we work with a lot of chambers, but a lot of times I view that as like business development and and networking for that. So you're even more pressure to put on the oh, it's going great because I'm. I'm hoping we might work together. I'm hoping we might be a client. We try to be that safe space for women where we can talk shop. Let's get real. Let's talk about what's not going well so we can help you do better. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, that's a huge blessing. It's very, very fortunate to have that in, in your area, but not every area has this carved out space, right? It has this, this group or, or this program. So what are some strategies? I would say strategies or tools, I guess, that you would recommend for women to build some strong professional connections, you know, establish a, a valuable and deeply connected professional network. Do you have any strategies that you would offer oh, yeah. someone who maybe is not in the space of we venture? <laughs> Well, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll take it a step further. So we are, you know, an SBA funded program, you know, so, so Florida Tech University gets a grant to host this women's business center, but there's over 146 WBCs around the country. We have four in um, Florida, Jacksonville, Tampa, and South Florida. We're in every state WBCs from Puerto Rico to Alaska. You know, we say sea to shining sea. So odds are you probably have one, hopefully somewhere near you. But there's also other organizations, and it goes back to what I referred to with lobbying and advocacy. There are American business women's association groups that are everywhere, National Association of Women's Business Owners, NABO groups, women in public policy groups. You know, there are many chambers will have a, you know, women's luncheon or women's group. We're part of the Athena Network, Athena International for Women's Leadership. So I would encourage you find what organization is 
near you, you know, find what's already there because don't reinvent wheels. Cause a lot of times these are all, everything that I just mentioned are national, if not international organizations, where if you can find a local chapter, you know, you will work your way up. The difference between what a lot of those offer and what we venture is, you know, we're a service provider. So we really focus on the coaching and the mentorship, what some of those other more of association or, or organizations might provide you is the mentorship that can lead to coaching on that personal basis. But sometimes those national organizations, they offer educational platforms. They have a national conference where you can go and get your training and cup filled. So women are not short of connections that you can make. And if you're in a community where you feel like there really isn't anything, then reach out to me and let's find out what would be a good fit for your community. And I'd love to talk to you about how you could be the catalyst to start the right organization in where your community is, because if it's not already there, it needs to be, there's a need for for it. But yeah, I, my, you know, my husband would joke and tell you, you know, if I, if I could be at a luncheon or a dinner or happy hour every day of the week, if I wanted to, you know, like there's no shortage of events and women's groups, you know, that are around, it's finding the right one for you and then getting involved to make it what you need for it. And, and, you know, like anything in life, the more you put into things, the more you'll get out of it and, and can help mold it. Absolutely. And we'll make sure that some of those uh, national associations that you mentioned are also linked in the show notes. Cause I think it's really important, you know, especially we talk about, there's no shortage of information, but there's an overwhelm of information out there. Right. So I remember being that person going online and looking for the answer and then feeling completely stressed out in eight minutes, like tops. Yeah. And I'm like, how, there, how do I even know where to go? And then all of the time that I spend figuring out which one is the right one to possibly end up with the wrong one feels very stressful on top of trying to start the business. So even you just mentioning a couple of those, I think would be a, a huge help and service to our to our listeners. So thank you so much for mentioning that. And the overwhelming information and, and tying back to what I said earlier, where it doesn't always apply, you know, so much of the information that's general, how to start a business focuses on what is this business going to look like to scale? And the reality is most women, when they get into starting their business, they're not looking to scale. There's 13.1 million women-owned businesses in America in 2018, 2019. Only 1 million had employees. Only 1 Mm. million. The vast majority, 12.1 million businesses were solopreneurs. And we have to shift how we think about businesses. And that's what we try to do at WeVenture. If you come to us and you say, my financial objective is to help pay for the kids, you know, schooling and aftercare and da, 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 you know, I have this other main job and this is my side hustle entrepreneurship. Great. We want to help you make that $50,000 a year or 70,000, you know, whatever, you know, whereas a traditional business how to guide or even some of our other you know SBA resource centers that are are focused on growth oriented might say that's not worth it why would you do it you know that's not worth it that's not sustainable but if it's going to help your family if it's going to help you find financial independence and the you know career success that you want then we want to help you achieve and meet that financial goals in five or six years from now when you're ready we can talk about scaling or growing you know but right now let's help you meet your small baby business objectives. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I think is unique to women's business centers. And that I think if you were to call SCORE or the SBDCs, while we love them, that that is something that we do differently at women's business centers. We really are focused and look at the value 
of those solopreneurships, micro baby businesses. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that statistic was, I mean, very surprising. I did not know, but also, I don't know if I should say I am surprised <laughs> because it does feel accurate. I, I mean, there are a lot of different challenges that I think women face and it's not to say that, you know, some people don't want to be a solopreneur that if you, if that's what you want to do, if that's the way you're, that's fine too. But I just think this is a little more of a general statement that the challenges that women face again can be mitigated through conversations mm-hmm. like these. And so instead of talking about the challenges, I was interested to hear if you could maybe pick one challenge that you see, but more specifically, what is a strategy that you think could help to address this challenge? Maybe it's a challenge that you hear, you know, uh, within the group, your network and and through some of the individuals, the participants who are coming through WeVenture, um, maybe it's from a broader, you know, landscape, but yeah. what's a strategy that you see is effectively helping to chip away at one of the challenges that women entrepreneurs face today? So I will, I will just tell you, I just came from a really great opportunity to work with one of our local cities and a private sector community partner about trying to bring affordable childcare to an area that we would consider a childcare desert. And I can tell you that when studies have been done, you know, female entrepreneurship and access to internet are are very equally tied because where women have ability to sell products, do things, whatever online, it opens up markets available to them while they can still be at home. And so we see the number and and the scale and the types of women whose businesses grow. And the same thing is starting to be true as as more of a focus is on childcare these last couple of years, that we really are seeing where we have communities that have invested and have some solid access, um, or at least just decent access, you know what I mean? That we don't see as high of women's entrepreneurs, you know, that, that where there is greater need, then women are more likely to have to start a business because we can't find something to do. So the conversation at a national level, at a state level, at local levels, starting to focus more and more on childcare is directly in response to making sure women can stay active participants in the economy. We are now about, you know, 50-50 labor force participation. If we want to succeed as a country and if we want women to succeed as entrepreneurs or as working families, we have to be laser focused on that. And it's a, it's a big focus of what mine and what our center is going to be thinking of advocacy wise for the next two years and probably beyond because it's, it's, it's necessary. We Mm -hmm. see it as a driving force to get women into entrepreneurship. But then once you are in entrepreneurship, it becomes a challenge because what if you do need to hire people and they don't have access to childcare, Mm -hmm. or what if you don't get the childcare for the hours that you need, you know, and those That's very personal, Catherine. I'm very much like, yep, I know that. (laughs) It's it's a real, it's a very real issue. And again, systems wise, we were, we are set up work-wise, we are set up systems-wise schooling. Everything's kind of set up with this idea that somebody should be available Mm-hmm. to help take care of children during the day. And so then that is not compatible with 60 hour work weeks. It's yes. just yes. Some, somebody is not getting sleep or somebody is not getting picked up, you know? Yeah. I feel, uh, I remember when I was kind of stuck in that hamster wheel of I'm starting off my business and mm-hmm. I can't make it to these networking events that start at eight o'clock. Eight o'clock I can't make morning. it to the networking event that's at six. I'm like, I yeah. 
this is so how, and I felt very, that's why, you know, at the time we venture was perfect because it was happening in the middle of the day. There were these little work. Exactly. It was just, and so I still think about that. I still have challenges, you know, where I'm like, oh my gosh, if I have to go and do this, or I have to be present here, what then starts to happen is the um, sacrifices that we know that there's always going to be a sacrifice, right? If you're all into the business and you don't, you're not giving attention to the kids. If you're all into the kids, you're not giving attention to the business. And I don't even mean days and weeks on end. I mean, even if it's just for an hour, wherever your attention is, that's where your energy goes, right? And so we understand that and, and we accept and try to make these balances. But the reality is, that as you continue to think about, okay, well, I have to work these hours or I have to be present here. And you know that you're sacrificing, you know, time with your kid, or you don't have the money to invest in, you know, childcare. That right there, that internal tension is so unproductive. It is so harmful. It is so defeating. I'm going to correct you because you said the word that, that I kind of have banished from my office and from, you know, within women in our network, it's not about balance. It's just not, it's never going to be about mm-hmm. balance because balance implies equal weight, mm-hmm. equal weight. Mm-hmm. And some days your family is going to demand a lot of you and it's going to weigh heavier. And some days your work, especially as an entrepreneur is going to weigh heavier and it is going to be there. And so the word that I like to use and the mindset that I try to encourage women to have is equilibrium because equilibrium means that you are changing, you are, you're, you're going through changing forces, changing circumstances while minimizing the conflict. So Mm -hmm. what women, in my opinion, need to stop thinking about is balance, but is thinking about how can I create an environment where I can find equilibrium, where it is less of a conflict for me to navigate between work and home. And that is 100% where I see the growth in female entrepreneurship coming from, is that women are turning to entrepreneurship because it is offering them a chance to create a system where they can navigate between work and home and reduce the conflict and uh, that, that they're experiencing. So it's about finding equilibrium not balance. I really like that. And I appreciate that because as I started to, when they were saying, oh, work-life balance, I was like, I feel like it's more of an integration, but even the integration is like, oh, but I'm trying to integrate it and I may not be able to. So I really appreciate you giving that, that new word equilibrium. Mm, I love it. That's where I'm at. That's what my dissertation is focusing on. That's where, you know, all (laughs) of my effort. And whenever I get asked to speak to women's groups and, you know, like women's history month and around mother's day, you know, we get invited, I get invited to go to a lot of groups. And that's the number one thing that I, I try to get in front of women and say is you can't act surprised when today this is, you know, weighing heavy on you. And that's not mm-hmm. the idea is let's plan for that. Let's prepare for it. Let's have this mindset. Let's talk openly about our kids. Let's teach our kids that, you know, this is mom can be with you Fridays when you get out of school early because I'm going to work until seven on Tuesday, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this is how mom's giving and taking and, and, and kids are so much smarter and, and they can handle so much more and appreciate so much more than sometimes we give them credit for. And then that helps relieve your mom guilt or your dad guilt for that matter. You know, the dads that go through this because we're, we're being open with them and we're saying, look, today work is heavy. 
but I can't wait to hang out with you, you know, and we'll be all in on game night Friday, you know? Yes. Yes. I love that. Oh, that's such a gem. I was actually going to ask, how do you balance it all? How do you balance all the things that you're doing in business? You have three little ones yourself and, and we'll just actually, you know what, we'll, we'll close out on this one because something from your personal toolbox, you know, you talk about equilibrium what does it look like in practice? What are some things that you've, you know, built into your routine or um, how have you created a, a system or an environment, we'll say, that cultivates equilibrium? Well, I always start by 100% acknowledging how blessed I am. You know, both my husband and I are, you know, he's an entrepreneur. I have a lot of ownership over our time. We have a lot of agency in, in controlling our schedule, which is huge. You know what I mean? And so between the two of us, we have a system of alternating days, you know, who's doing one so that I can plan out my life and say, you know, I can fill Tuesdays and Thursdays because he's on duty, you know, whereas Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, really Fridays are our toss up day, but you know, Monday, Wednesdays, my day to kind of be on call Tuesday, Thursday, he's in charge of driving. So that is a huge blessing because that's shared, you know, it, it isn't just on me, which I I'm so grateful for. And I think one of the things that has worked really well for our family in terms of setting balance is we guard our family time. Like not we're busy a lot of weekends as so many families are, but we generally have at least once a quarter and sometimes, you know, maybe, you know, once a month, if we're really lucky in some of those times where we can have a weekend where it's like, this is a family, whether it's a getaway, you know, whether it's activity or something like that, but that we are saying no to what the world might be asking of us. And we're saying yes to that family time. And so it makes those weeks that get busy as they do, you know, and get very busy. But when we look back at the end of the year, we can say, wow, we did a lot because we carved out that time. We planned for that time. You know, we protected that time. And so I think the kids, you know, there's a, a tip that I heard somewhere where your brain is wired to forget the mundane. You know, we don't think about having to breathe. We don't think about that. You don't think about your daily routines. You're not going to remember it because your brain's just wired to forget it. So mm-hmm. special occasions, vacations, trip, those are why those are important because they're different. They stand out from the mundane and you're more likely to remember them. So being taught that or thought about that as a young family, we said, you know, we might not get every week. Great. There might be some weeks where I don't see my kids a lot. I'm not as available to them as I would like for week, you know, days on end, but next weekend we'll go to Disney and we're going to have a good time together and we're going to make those memories. And that, that helps me, that helps our family kind of struggle with the the struggle. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So well yeah. said. Yeah. Well said. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing all of these very valuable insights. Thank you for the work that you're doing to advocate for women business owners. Uh, I know that when we have individuals like you who are, you know, walking ahead, who are who are also looking back and helping to guide those of us who are just trying to find our way, makes me very hopeful about the future, especially being a woman business owner. (laughs) So thank you so much for all that you're doing. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and and share. And thank you for what you do to create a community where people are thinking and feeling and, and kind of tackling some of these issues that, you know, deserve our time, space, and attention. Mm -hmm. My honor, my honor to serve and have conversations with wonderful guests like you. No, thanks, Catherine. Thank you. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, 
tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.